we come here expecting a blessing because we are coming to worship our God. To know Him is a blessing. To learn of Him is a blessing. The things that entailed in the church is a blessing for us. And it's so good to come here after being in the world and looking around and seeing all that transpires around us and dealing with all the things that cross our mind and all the things that Satan has put in our path and our keeps on our minds, going back to conflict Paul was speaking of, as we even as we try to pray the things that Satan puts upon us to distract us from the blessings of God and the worship of God and cause us misery while we live here in this world. We've been going through the book of Colossians. We have talked about Christ. We have talked about Christ. That is the primary purpose of this book. When we move past here to chapter 3, we're going to talk about some things we should do and do in Christ, our duty to Christ, but we're still talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Gospel. This is the good news. This is our life. This is our being. This is what sustains us and keeps us. This is what gives us hope in this world by whom our prayers are received of the Father, by whom we have a kingdom, by whom we have a congregation, by whom we have the preaching of the Gospel and an understanding of it. Our life is to know Him. He said in John, Glorify Thy Son. He has also glorified Thee. That thou should, God has given Him power over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as God had given Him. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Would to God that His people could see and understand that if you know God, you have eternal life. That's the work of Christ in cleansing us from our sins in His blood, planting His Spirit within us, giving us the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We were driven from God because of sin. We could not know God, especially being Gentiles in the world, but Christ hath died for us and cleansed us of our sin that we might stand in the presence of God in the sense of knowing Him and understanding the truth of God which is to be preached in the world. Would to God that the entirety of everyone who is called a minister in this world could preach Christ. Nothing else. No works because our works are in Christ. No faith because our faith is in Christ. It's the gift of God. I'm not taking away from works. I'm not taking away from faith. There's great benefits in both. First to the glory of God and second to us. But that's what Paul has been teaching these people for these first chapters. is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The beginning of of the creation of God, the end of the creation of God, when He appears and all this is consumed, and every child of God stands in heaven in immortal glory, does not matter who they are, male, female, what race, what 
what uh, denomination, uh, even those out in the world. How contrary is that to what's taught in the world? I keep going back to that thought in my mind. If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Every child of God will stand in heaven in immortal glory. That's what Paul is teaching these people. These people are Gentiles in the flesh. They had no knowledge of God. They were without God in this world until the fullness of the time came and God sent His Son into this world to suffer and bleed and die and deliver us from our sin and from the curse of the law. We've talked about the conflict. We've talked about Christ being the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We've talked about not just in eternity, past, to use that word, and there's no such thing. Eternity is. It is. It is. It's not past. It's not present in the realm of God. It is. I mean, it's not future. It is. It's always now. People talk about the knowledge of God and everything entailed in the Godhead from eternity, from everlasting to everlasting. But Christ is the fullness of the Godhead because in this man born of a virgin, flesh and blood, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Not just the fullness of the church, but the fullness of the Godhead. Not just in the everlasting Son of God, living Word of God, but in the man, Christ incarnate in His body, the fullness of the Godhead in Him, the power to heal, the power to raise the dead, the power to create life, the wisdom of God, the purpose of God. Read something last night. They found another star with some great telescope. They looked through... Millions of galaxies and find something new every so often. God created them all and knows them all by name. And this is in its fullness in the man, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and reigns for us, who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is what Paul is teaching these people. Because it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, now, let's come to the text. Verse 9 of second chapter of Colossians. And I need your prayers. I feel so far away today and that's my fault. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Christ. In Christ the man. And ye are complete in Him. Verse 10, Peter said in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter 1 and verse, I'll start in 3 and read 3 and 4. According as His divine power, that's the power of the Godhead, the power of Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, hath given unto us all things. You catch that. 
We don't need anything else, and we could harp on that, but I want to make the point that God hath, H-A-T-H, that means present tense. God hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, Christ, that has called us to glory and virtue, here's my point, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world through lust. Making the point, making the point that ye are complete in Him. You're complete in Christ. As we live in this world in all its sin and all its darkness, We have a kingdom. It is complete here. Everything we need is here. We've given a kingdom. We're given life. We're given knowledge. We're given joy. We're given chastening. We're given fear, a fear of God, a reverential fear. We're given all these things. We're given victory over Satan, sin, and death. You remember going through Revelation chapter 5, in Him, in Christ, we live and reign on the earth. We live and reign over sin and death in this world, in Christ. This is what God's ministers need to be preaching. Jesus Christ. We're complete in Christ. The victory is won. And He won it. He fought the battle. He laid His life down. He rose from the dead. The victory is here. We're complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. Christ is the head of all domain, all principality and powers of darkness in high places. And He's the head of the church, the kingdom. In Him is the fullness of the Godhead, the Creator of heaven and earth. We're complete. We have all things. This is given to Gentiles who were previously without God in the world. We talked about this, I believe, going through Revelation to bring a short point up. Of all the gods, little g and an s, we have but one, and he is God. But of all the gods that the Romans had, household gods, national gods, can you imagine praying to this one, and then turning to this one, and then turning to this one, in doubtings and fears, Even think about people such as the Mayans who would offer sacrifices to their gods in order to have prosperity. Pray to all these gods in vain, empty prayers and receiving absolutely nothing. But our God, we're complete and all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That's life. He gave us life in the sacrifice of Christ. The godliness comes in the imputed righteousness of Christ upon us. The Bible says Abraham believed 
And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. First of all, why did Abraham believe? Because God spoke to him. God revealed himself to Abram in the land of Ur the Chaldees. Get thee out of thy land into a land that I will show thee. And I will be thy God. God spoke to him. And he believed God. And it was imputed to him for righteousness because he believed God. He knew God. Now, let's start the text. Verse 11. You're come, I'll go to 10 and start again. And you're completing him which is the head of all principality and power. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. The circumcision. We've talked many times about this briefly and it will be brief today considering the fullness of the text as it could be. Because if we started, we'd never get through with it. But let's talk about the circumcision. First of all, the Jews, the Jewish nation, through the giving of the law and their history and the flesh of man, looked to the circumcision as being necessary, speaking of the circumcision of the flesh. We turn back to Genesis 17. I'm going to read a bit. Hopefully the Lord will bless. Abram, Abram, Abram. His name here is Abram. That means exalted father, exalted one. Abram. The one that God revealed Himself to. The one that God exalted. The one that God called, exalted in His presence. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, oh, we could spend some time on that talking about age and service to God and age does not matter. Just realize the same power of God in creation reaching this old man I'm 63 and cannot do half what I used to. This man is 99 years old. But the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Now the next thing the Lord God is going to do with Abram, well, He changes His name from Abram, exalted one, to Abraham, which means the father of many nations, the father of a multitude. Now, if we put this in line with the Gospel, this is showing us in Abraham, whom God revealed Himself to, who believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Let's say it this way also, and it will be scriptural. He whom God came to, this man taken in idolatry by his nature and where he lived, this man that God came to and spoke to and revealed himself to, God gave him life. God spoke to him. And God told him, He said, My covenant is with thee. And thou shalt be a father of many nations. 
Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations have I have made thee. This is teaching us of the believer. This is teaching us of the work of Christ. This is teaching us not just of the twelve tribes of Israel, but the elect of God among the Gentiles. Many nations, a people from every people, from every tribe, from every family, from every tongue, all the children of God elect from before the foundation of the world. We find here in the promise that God made to Abraham. Well, it was made to Abraham because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit agreed to this before the world was ever created. Go back to Ephesians 1 and 4, according to He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before God the Father in love. Every child of God. But I'm getting off the text. Let me try to stay with it. He said, I'll make thee fruitful. I'll make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. David, Solomon. All these kings of Israel and Judah, not to count just the royal priesthood of His people, kings and priests unto God, all in our King and our priest Christ. As Paul is teaching these people in Colossians, these Gentiles who did not know God past, who were without God in the world, but through the blood of Christ are now made one, in the kingdom of God, with the children of God. Kings and priests. He said, I'll establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee. Now watch this part. In their generations. Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, through the patriarchs, and all of their seed for the purpose of God contained in the law service up until the time of true reformation which came in the Lord Jesus Christ by the fulfilling of the law and the establishing of the kingdom of grace in this world where the gospel is preached, where these Gentiles are now sitting under the sound of the gospel, the trumpet of God. Everlasting, ongoing. To be a God unto thee, to thy seed after thee. And let me get down to my point. Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore and thy seed after thee in their generations. You go to Deuteronomy 10. After Moses and the law, as it was in that day, and these stiff-necked men in their nature, rebellious against God, where God told them to circumcise the foreskin of their heart. Man has never kept covenant. I told you this one time a year or so back, I went out to Fredericksburg, Texas. The only treaty that the government of the United States ever kept with the Indians 
was the government in Fredericksburg, Texas. The people there. They never break that covenant. They were allowed to live with the Comanche around them because they kept the covenant. I say that to make a point. Man has never kept the covenant. Man has never kept the law. Well, now Paul said as he was righteous, blameless was the word he used, as touching the law, even though Paul kept the law in his walk, his mind and his heart at that time were not right with God because he justified himself by the law, exalted himself and was persecuting the church of God, even hating Christ until Christ put him on his face when he revealed himself to him. There is only one way to know God, that is by revelation. God works the same way with everyone, no matter who they are, what nation, what family. Whosoever He saves, He saves the same way by grace through revelation. He reveals Himself to them, again back to John 17, to know God is eternal life. God reveals Himself to you. I say all that, to come to the covenant. We've never kept a covenant. God is the keeper of covenants. You still see the rainbow in the sky. God gave some six, eight thousand years ago when He flooded the earth. You still see that rainbow, the token of the covenant that God made that He would not destroy the earth by water again. And we're told in Peter, it won't be by water when He destroys it the second time. It will be by fire, and that fire is the glory of God. But now, He said, This is My covenant which you shall keep between Me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and that shall be a token. It is a token of the covenant betwixt me and you, between God and Abram, Abraham, as God changed his name. If the covenant had been kept, God would not have told them to circumcise the foreskin of their heart. Would to God that people that are His could understand that it, this is all in Christ. We do not, we cannot, we will not of our own being and would not worship God, come to God, know God, love God, nor serve God. It is all in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. And He told them, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man, child, and your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger. Here comes Gentiles, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. They had to be circumcised 
as a token of the covenant that God made, that God would keep with Abraham. All this pointing to the fact that we, who are stiff-necked and rebellious in our nature, must be circumcised. We're not talking about the circumcision of the foreskin. We're talking about the circumcision of the heart. Bow with me. Bow with me. Bear with me. Bow with me too. We ought to pray. To the 36th chapter of Ezekiel. I'm going to go from here to Joshua 31. I want you to see what the Scripture says about the true circumcision. Because Paul is telling these Gentiles, in whom, speaking of Christ, the head of all things, the Godhead bodily, in whom ye all also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Ezekiel 36. I'll go to 21 to make a point of Ezekiel 36. But I had pity for mine holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen whither they went. That kind of makes void and shows the vanity of all the empty winds of doctrine that float through the world to deceive a child of God that, oh, God wants everybody to be saved. God wants you to do this. God wants you to do that. God wants you to enjoy. Let me tell you something. God does not want, nor does He need, God purposed past tense and eternity, and God works His way in heaven and in earth. He said, For I had pity for my name's sake, my holy name, which the house of Israel, those who were manifested as God's people in that day, had profaned among the heathen whether they went. Well, that was old Israel. We're no different today. By our nature, we had our walk with Satan, the prince of the power of the air. By our nature, we rebelled against God. They must needs be circumcised. We must needs be circumcised. We'll get to the circumcision in just a moment. Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake. The Godhead, Christ being the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is for Christ's sake. The, he whom God gave a people. He who died for His people. He whom God, the man Jesus Christ, would glorify through the realm of eternity, standing in glory with a people who would adore Him and love Him and worship Him. For His holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen, whither you went. Now, verse 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. Water here represents the Spirit. We mentioned last week the water in John 3. You must be born of water and the Spirit. The water in that text 
is speaking of the water of your mother's womb because he's speaking of earthly things and he's speaking of spiritual things. This text, the water is representing the Spirit of God. You are cleansed in the blood of Christ. You are saved in the blood of Christ. Without the blood of Christ, you could not stand in the presence of God. You could not know God as we were sinners and God would save us from our sin by that blood. He made us holy without blame before God the Father in love. Now we're able to have a measure, not the fullness, just a little measure of the Spirit of God. This Spirit, this water represents the Spirit. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. First He gives us life. Then He gives us the Spirit in the sense, okay? In the sense, this can be simultaneous. It doesn't have to be. But in the sense of the Spirit of God, under the sound of the Gospel, teaching us to walk in the way of Christ. Why do we follow God and obey God? For we are His workmanship. We're created uh, unto good works in Christ, which God hath from the beginning ordained that we should walk in them. You give God that credit. You give God that glory. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. Again, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. When you believe God, when God gives you life, men in the world may not see it or know it, but I don't care what, who you are or what you do or how you live in this world. If God hath revealed Himself to you, then you are a child of God. And whether we see it or realize it or understand it or accept it or believe it, it does not matter. That is sufficient to God. It is the work of God that He gives you life, that He reveals Himself to you. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. God turns us. It says in the Scripture, the Lord turned ungodliness away from Jacob. I heard Elder Joe Nettle say this one time and I liked it. God turned ungodliness away from Jacob because if He turned us away from ungodliness by our nature, we turn back to it. And I can relate to that. God turns it from us. God causes us to walk in righteousness. As Paul is telling these Gentiles, they're circumcised in Christ. He's teaching them this is the work of Christ. God hath given you life. God hath revealed Himself unto you. And by the Spirit of God, you have the knowledge and the understanding of the Gospel. What did Jesus say about the Holy Ghost, the Spirit? 
He'll bring you in remembrance of former things. He'll teach us about the Lord, the power of God, the wisdom of God. And now here we go to verse 26. And we're cleansed. Our walk, Bible says our conversation is cleansed as we walk in the obedience or striving to obey the Gospel. A new heart. Here's the circumcision. Will I give you a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. We're not mentioned as anything in there but recipients of the grace of God. We had no control, no power, no say-so. God did not take counsel with any. This is the work of God. It is in Christ. He circumcises the foreskin of the heart. I think Deuteronomy 30, you'll find where he said he would do that. He would circumcise the heart. So I put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Why? How? Why? Because of the election of grace. How? By the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. How? By being made clean and holy and without blame. God drove Adam from his presence because he's a sinner in Christ. We are, have atonement. We're brought back to God because Christ has made us clean. Christ has cleansed us. He gives us the gospel and the Spirit of God to understand. And as we walk and manifest the power of God in us, it is the work of God. And we're cleansed as we walk. The more we grow, the more we mature, the more we worship, the more we pray, the more we study, the more we fellowship with Christ and with each other. Don't forget, with each other is important. And as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Cause you to walk in my statutes. I always come back to this remembrance. One time I was down here and stared at my grandparents' house, and I guess Daddy had just gotten out of the army. I don't know. I was a little bitty toddler type person and had his big old army hat on my head, and I got lost over there behind the hill across the hill from the house. I was scared slapped to death. My daddy happened to come pick me up and came and found me. I don't know if he remembers that or not. But I make a point with that. I make a point with that. When God reveals to us that He has come to us. That the shepherd came to the sheep. That the shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. When we begin to realize that the shepherd loves the sheep, then we begin to love 
the Lord. I'll cause you to walk in my statutes. Fear does not cause anyone to walk in statutes of God forever. I will fear no man. If you tell me I must do something or you're going to punish me, I'm going to rebel and show you I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to fight this power that has this force that has power over me. That is our fallen nature. Just as Adam rebelled against God. But when the love of God and you see Christ upon the cross of Calvary by faith and you realize that in His great love He came to us and He died for us and He raised up for us because He loves us. That causes us out of love to adore, stand in awe, and to obey the Lord. He takes away the heart of stone. He gives you, my goodness, I've got started. He gives you a heart of flesh. And I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Let me go back to Jeremiah 31 to make a point of circumcision. 31.31, you all know this text. These people were in bondage of a foreign nation. They had rebelled against God. Their very leaders had strayed against God. They'd been taught false things. The vessels of the house of God had been taken away. What a sad time for these Israelites. I say Israelites. There was nothing left but Judea because Israel did not even exist anymore. And God is prophesying to them, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant, not the covenant of the law, with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. You see, Israel was no more. They had ceased to exist. They'd lost their identity. But God is speaking to them here as if they are and they were and they would be. And God cannot lie. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt was my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, Point being made, but this shall be the covenant that I will make at, with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. I'd like to go farther with that, but I'm not started good yet. When I said this as we went through this, a while back, Moses came down from the mount where God gave him the two tables of stone that God wrote with his finger. And they were in sin. And Moses cast the stones down and broke them. You see, that's a beautiful picture of the Lord Christ lowering Himself down in the likeness of sinful flesh yet without sin, to suffer 
and bleed and die. Christ is the law of God. Christ is the testimony that was within the ark. The, the Scripture, Galatians says, the Scripture aforetime preached the Gospel to Abraham. Well, there was no Gospel written. Moses wrote it. Moses was not right yet there to write it. So how is the Scripture there? The living Word of God, Christ, preached the Gospel to Abraham. And the promise we just read, being a father of many nations. Paul's telling these Gentiles, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Oh, the Jews put so much. You can't be saved. You can't be righteous without the circumcision. Paul said his circumcision availeth absolutely nothing. He says in Philippians 3, verse 3, for we, speaking of the church, today, or the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. We do not worship God by the letter of the law. That's one thing he's teaching these Gentiles and Colossians. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to go to these feasts. We'll get into this later. You don't have to be part of that touch not, taste not, come away from those things. You're saved in Christ. You had absolutely nothing to do with it. You're the recipient of the grace of God. The everlasting love from everlasting to everlasting of God. We, the church, are that circumcision. They are the church He's writing to. Ye also, ye are circumcised. God took away your heart of stone. God gave you a heart of flesh. God calls you to love. God causes you to loathe your former selves. Go back again. To the text, and they shall look upon me, Christ, whom they have pierced, whom ye have pierced, and shall mourn as one that mourneth for his only son. God reveals himself to us in giving us life. We mourn because of the sacrifice and the love that this great God of heaven, who's holy and righteous, and we could not even stand before him. But this God has loved us and saved us. We've been circumcised in the heart. The circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Okay. We talked about that. Go back to 31 of Jeremiah. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least unto the greatest. That's part of the circumcision. That's God giving you life. That's God revealing Himself to you. That's God taking away the heart of stone and the nature of Adam and giving you a heart of flesh, a heart of love which causes you to love God, which causes you to love your brethren and sisters in the kingdom of God. And putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now Christ was crucified when He was eight days old because that was the law. He kept the law to a jot and a tittle. The smallest points. The smallest points of grammar in that language. He kept it Perfectly. 
He was circumcised. And he was baptized. We'll get into that a little later. Not this week. I meant to, but I'm not going to have time. In order to fulfill the law and to establish grace. He kept the law. Now, you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, the circumcision of the heart. And putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, this is not saying that we have to make a decision or that we have to work. It's not of works. It is of grace. This is not giving anything to our credit of anything that we did or could do. We did not attain it. It was given us in Christ and grace. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by God turning ungodliness away from us, by God giving us an unction of the Spirit, by God giving us obedience in the knowledge of Christ, when His great love is revealed. How many people are standing up today all this time of, of history, oh, it's the revelation. The world's going to come to an end. Dragons going to be fighting devils in the sky. What if the Lord's come back and we nuke Him? And all this kind of stupid nonsense that the natural man teaches and believes. The revelation means exactly what it says. The manifestation of God through Jesus Christ to His people, that comes in life, that comes in this circumcision of the foreskin. That's why I said, and you must needs be circumcised to come to God. We've got to be changed. And in that work, the Lord, in the circumcision, it causes us, we put off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And I'm going to start on next week and then back up to it again next week. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God. Who did the work? Through the operation of God. Who's the fullness of the Godhead bodily? Christ. Who is the everlasting Father? Christ. Who has raised Him from the dead? Give you a hint. Give you a hint. 1 Peter 3. And we'll start here next week. That's second, Peter. I need first. I'll start in verse 18, kind of the middle of a text in Peter. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, ours, the just for the unjust, relating Barabbas and Christ. Barabbas represents us in our nature. Christ is God. 
that He might bring us to God. There's the atonement. There's the circumcision. There's the life. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit of God. By which also He went and preached unto spirits in prison. That's not somebody in hell. That was the Spirit. When God flooded the earth, He gave life to every child of God that was upon the earth. Because they were going to be dead. And in order to be with God in heaven and immortal glory, they had to be changed. And God changed them. God gave them life before He flooded the earth. Spirits in prison, the prison house of darkness. Now, here's my point. Which sometime were disobedient, aren't we all? When once the long-suffering of God, waiting on the ark to be prepared, waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, few, are we few? That is, eight souls were saved by water. Now wait a minute, you long-winded man. Tell me how many, how were they saved by water? Because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And his family, whom he loved, would God place upon the ark with him and God would shut the door and God would cause it to rain? Well, what about all those people that were dead died? First of all, many would tell you they all went to hell. We just disproved that by Christ visiting those that were in the spirit house of darkness, giving them light before God called them home, changing them. How were they saved by water? They were delivered from the wickedness of that present evil world. When God saved them, when God put them in the ark, when God closed the door, when God caused it to rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights, 15 cubits above the highest mountain, and everything that had the breath of life in it was drowned and died. God delivered His people, those few people on that ark from all the sin and death and darkness in the world at that time. And they were saved. Noah and his family were saved from that water. Just as when they crossed over into the promised land when those priests carrying the ark of the covenant type of Christ, when their feet hit that flooded river, the wall stood up. There's a saving in that also because they entered the promised land. But... God did the work, but they're saved by that water. Which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few that his eight souls were saved by water. The like figure, a figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. How does baptism save us? I was told as a boy from various peoples, you got to get baptized. You're going to go to hell. you got to get baptized. The Lord says you got to get baptized. Can't see the past into their nose telling me what I'm supposed to do. Baptism has nothing to do with eternal life. Baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. When we are baptized, we enter that watery grave with the church as witnesses 
that we're professing our faith in Christ, that He was... He didn't just get sick. He was fully immersed in the grave. He was in the dead. Uh, the realm of the dead in the grave. Not hell. Not fire. In the grave. In the ground. And was raised up. It shows that we, we entered death with Him because He carried us. It's His work. It's His glory. When we're baptized, we're showing Christ. Our faith is in Christ whom we preach. Christ who saved us. There's a saving in that. He said, Matthew 28, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That means to the Gentiles, God's elect among the Gentiles, teaching them to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You have to be baptized to become a member of the church and take communion. Most people don't. I was baptized August 10th, 1974. I remember it very well. Went right up here in this curve after this long straightaway. There's a lake over behind that brick house and that's where I was baptized. I'll never forget that. The like figure we're into even baptism doth also now save us not the putting away of the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward God. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, <laughs> hallelujah, is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto Him. You're circumcised. God has circumcised you in Christ. You're buried with Him in baptism. Brethren, He did not stay buried. Easter's coming up this month. He came forth from the grave as we were buried with Him in His death and we represent that in baptism. We came forth with Him unto justification of life. Time is up. I didn't get anywhere I was really wanting to. Maybe we'll take it up here next week, Lord willing. I want to talk about buried with Him in baptism and get on down to some of the things they faced which were false doctrine. Paul is preaching to Gentiles. We're Gentiles. All think about what all they had faced in their life and all the pagan gods and realize the preciousness of the truth of the truth of Jesus Christ. People talk about what we need to revive the church. What we need to say and do and, and all these things. I'm going to tell you what we need and we cannot provide it. It's the Lord. When I got called to preach and I was fighting that, I went to see Garland Justice in the hospital. I didn't know what was going on with me. But he did. He said, son, I'm going to tell you something. What you need, you're not going to get at Walmart. It only comes from the Lord. And that's the basis of the truth. We're to seek it. We're to pray for it. But only God can cause it to prosper. We'll continue with this next week, Lord willing.